Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you all out there, out there in the world. This is the AM Boxing Show with your host, Adrian Machado. Thank you, everyone, for joining me, um, wherever you are out there in the world. I hope you're staying safe, staying at home, and trying to beat this virus that we have going on. There really is no safe place, but uh, thank you for joining me and taking the time to listen to me. I really do appreciate it, okay? I hope everyone's staying safe. So let's get going. So if you've listened to the show, you know kind of where I stand and what kind of boxing person I am. I'm not just a boxing fan. I'm a boxing guy. I care about the strategies. I care about the styles. I try to make as educated a prediction as I can. And I really don't listen to a lot of the pundits, the broadcasters, or journalists because a lot of times they're wrong. You know, sometimes they're right, but more than not, they all they're wrong because they never bet on the underdog. They'll never be able to see, okay, um, is there is there a chance that they're that the underdog can win this one. Bare, majority of the time, they're wrong in every single way. And but you know, they by going with the favorite, that usually makes them right more than more than what 40, 50 percent of the time and everything. It's a safe bet. But they do this because they're boxing fans. They're not boxing guys. And on that note, I'm gonna talk about Floyd Mayweather Jr. Now, Floyd Mayweather Jr. is a very controversial figure. And I'm going to not only talk about him, I'm going to talk about his team, okay? And the reason why he's so controversial is because he's been the main person, the main boxer, the one who took the title from Oscar De La Hoya. First it was Ali, then he passed the mantle down to Sugar Ray Leonard, then he passed the mantle down to Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson passed the mantle down to the other heavyweights, Vanda Holyfield and, and Riddick Bowe. But then Oscar De La Hoya came out, and he became the big name during that time. You had other stars in between all of that, but they weren't household names like the Tysons, the Holyfields, the De La Hoyas were. Okay? So they were rare crossover stars. Tyson and De La Hoya especially, Sugar Ray Leonard especially. You saw them on endorsements. You saw them pretty much everywhere. Well. After De La Hoya, there was, everyone was wondering who was going to be the heir apparent. Well, Floyd Mayweather took that mantle when he beat Oscar De La Hoya in 2007 on Cinco de Mayo weekend. And he did it by doing, by being the opposite of what Oscar De La Hoya was. He tried the whole all-American Olympian trick with the million dollar smile and everything and he had all that the good looks and the incredible boxing talent but it never translated and no matter what happened in people weren't buying the shtick maybe it's because floyd always came off unlikable i can't i can't explain why he didn't like it. i mean he the talent was there the good looks the, the million dollar smile and everything or the fact that he just never stopped complaining about it and he did every single time from the beginning of his career, he was complaining that he wasn't getting paid enough, that he should be a bigger star, and everything. He, If you watch his lead-up to the fight with Arturo Gatti, which was his first pay-per-view fight ever, he was complaining that he should be on pay-per-view more, that he should be on the level of Oscar De La Hoya, but he wasn't. 
and he felt like he should have been. So around this time, he started amping up the villain role and really basically being himself, what it's shown to be at the very least. He played up the villain card, um, mo- and he's got a long history that shows that whole card that he was playing is pretty much him to a T. Now, I mean, I've never met the guy, uh, so I can really base my opinion only off of what he shows me. So, in all in all honesty, if you look at his record of domestic abuse, you look at his record of um, legal issues, and if you look at his interviews, you know when you, when you do when you do an interview, you tend to show small. If you're putting on an act, the real you shows up in very small little instances. And to people who are smart and are very um, very perceptive, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, they catch those little things. So they really get a, a sense of what this person is really like. Now, Floyd is a complainer. He's always been a complainer. He's always been a personality that has always needed to feel like he's against the world or the world is against him or the world owes him something. When he was when he was fighting, he felt like he should have been paid more money. He felt like he should have been a bigger star. He felt like he should have been on pay-per-view a whole heck of a lot more. As he progressed, as he kept on winning, he felt like he should have been tops in the pound for pound, um, even though... There were plenty of other fighters who had a greater case than he did. He felt like he should have been number one pound for pound. After he, after he beat Oscar De La Hoya, he inadvertently retired. We all knew that he was not going to stay retired because that was a peak. But he did that as a way of trying to stay relevant. And also, many can argue, because all the, the only other logical fight out there was Miguel Cotto. Now... That brings me to the next point that I'm going to make. Um, well, I'll go back to that. Now, Flo- to the previous point, after Floyd became a household name, the, the complaining kept going, saying that HBO always wanted him to lose. Then um, judges were against him. They want they don't want him to have that that zero on his record, and that they, they're constantly talking about how they have the style to beat him. They're always con- talking about, oh, he needs to fight this opponent, he needs to fight this opponent, and then when he fights that opponent years down the line, they don't give him the undue credit. So it went all the way, all the way till the end of his career, and he's, pro- and he's probably still complaining. He's a man who needs the spotlight. He needs to have the camera on him. He needs to feel like he's still relevant and that he still has the grand influence. And the boxing media has made a tremendous case uh, catering to that ego because now they don't see who is his heir apparent. Canelo Alvarez, you can make the argument, but Canelo Alvarez, I mean, I think he's a genuine star, but unfortunately in this country, in the United States, when you don't speak English, there's only so much crossover appeal you have. So whereas Canelo can really attract Mexican-American and Mexican fans, and to some extent some American fans, it's not 
going to be on the same level of like, a, let's say, Conor McGregor in MMA. Conor McGregor can speak English. And Conor McGregor has an appeal, being that he's Irish. And there's a huge Irish immigrant population here in, in the U.S. And many people who are second, third generation Irish Americans. So right now, there isn't that new, new star. And I think boxing is trying to find that person. You can make the argument that it's Terrence Crawford. You can make the argument as Earl Spence. But they haven't shown to be a, a huge crossover attraction. I personally think it's a heavyweight division right now. I mean, if you want stars, Anthony Joshua's a star. Tyson Fury is a star. Um, that's in the heavyweights. Are they the heir apparent to Floyd Mayweather? Nobody has taken that title yet. You can make an argument Tyson Fury has or will, but he hasn't really pulled the, the type of numbers that Floyd Mayweather has or anywhere close to it. So, you know, time will tell. But I think Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua are huge stars. And the fact that they're heavyweights, it will make, uh, broadens their appeal a whole heck of a lot more. But they're not American. Unfortunately, you know, that's how the American sports fan is. If you want to have crossover feel in the United States of America, there's a certain thing that goes with it, and that's being American. Unfortunately, I do not agree with it. For me, I, I don't think that needs to be the case. I mean, he, Anthony Joshua and, and Tyson Fury are both English, English Americans. Uh, sorry, not English Americans. Both from Great Britain, both English. Both can speak the, the language of English, but um, they haven't. I don't think that they're they are where Conor McGregor is here in the United States. Can they be? I think so. I think so. Do they have that whole? Um, do does enough crossover people? People, and when I say that, people who never watch boxing in their life, but they know who Muhammad Ali is, Sugar Ray Leonard is. Do they have those people? Doesn't feel like that. It doesn't seem that way. But I digress. So now Floyd, I think that's why the media has been completely co covering him nonstop. And if you look at his exhibition match in Japan, I mean, they ESPN covered it like a real fight. Dan Raphael traveled over there to... Japan to actually cover the fight. And I remember trading messages with him on Twitter saying, after, because afterward, when it turned out to be a freak show, like we anybody with a half a brain knew it would be, when he sat there and complained that this was a bona fide sparring match, I told him, then why did you cover it like it was a real fight? His response was, well, it's my job. And I told him, it's not ESPN's job to cover exhibition fights. Because a few years ago, Oscar De La Hoya fought Shaquille O'Neal in an exhibition fight for a reality show. They never covered that like it was a real fight. But that is ESPN and all the other media outlets praying, praying for Floyd to do something. Because they don't want him to retire. They don't believe he's fully retired and they want him to come back. If he fought Manny Pacquiao in a rematch, they would cover it like there was no tomorrow. Like this is the biggest fight of the year and blah, blah, blah. Two men who are way past their prime, who have seen better days, and they would market it like this is the fight that everybody should want to see. And that's not the case. That is not the case at all. Now, Floyd, 
and this is, might upset a lot of people, is incredibly overrated. Incredibly. There are so many people, even some people who I respect in their fight knowledge, some people like Joe Rogan, who have said that he is, you can make an argument that he's the greatest fighter of all time. He's not. He is not. At the very best, Floyd is top 20, 25, something like that. I, I don't see him being anywhere above that because I just look at all the names that are ahead of him that are in his weight class, and I think to myself, well, who can he beat? I think he would get murdered by Sugar Ray Robinson. I think he would get literally murdered by Sugar Ray Robinson. He would get knocked out, and he would get knocked out brutally. And that, and that to me is who I have as my number one. How will he do against Sam Langford or Harry Greb? I don't know if I can. I, I think he might be competitive, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't pick him over Greb. I wouldn't pick him over Langford, over Henry Armstrong. He wouldn't fight Manny Pacquiao until Manny Pacquiao was close to forty. Well, what was he thirty-seven when they fought? He was in his high thirties. He would not fight the Manny Pacquiao of 2009. So why would he fight Henry Armstrong, a guy who was the middleweight champion, the welterweight champion, and the lightweight champion all at the same time? So there goes Armstrong. What about the 80s? What about the four horsemen? Would anybody pick Floyd Mayweather over Sugar Ray Leonard? I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't even pick him over Tommy Hearns. I would give him a shot over against Duran. At welterweight? At lightweight? No. Duran knocks him out. Knocks him out cold. Um, I think that that fight would be much more entertaining fight because Floyd was much more aggressive at lightweight. But Duran was incredible. Incredible at that weight. And Duran was at his very best during that time. Now, at 147, Duran was a little bit older. After the second, you can... Say that he was past his prime after the after the rematch loss to Sugar Ray Leonard. Maybe he has a chance against Duran in at one forty seven after the if he fights him during that time. But before then, in the one thirties, a lightweight. Mm -mm, nope. I, I I don't think he. I think he would get knocked out by Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard had no problem fighting um, very defensive fighters. Wilfred Benitez was an incredible defensive fighter, and Leonard knocked him out. Um, Leonard fought Floyd Mayweather Sr. and found a way through that shoulder roll. I mean, and I know Floyd's defense is a heck of a lot more than a shoulder roll, but ended up knocking Floyd Sr. out too. Leonard was a heck of a lot more of a smarter fighter than people give him credit for. So I wouldn't pick Floyd over Sugar Ray Leonard at all. And against Tommy Hearns... That would not be pretty. Not be pretty. Floyd Mayweather wouldn't fight Paul Williams, okay? He wouldn't fight Paul Williams. He wouldn't come anywhere near him. He wouldn't fight Antonio Margarito. What makes you think he would even entertain fighting a Thomas Hearns? Thomas Hearns was Paul Williams with a hundred times more skill. Paul Williams was a volume puncher who never utilized his height and his reach to his total advantage. Tommy Hearns used every bit of that 6'1 height and reach. 
And if you and if you want an example, watch the first Leonard fight. I mean, he used his range. He had a lightning jab, and he had a nasty put your lights out right hand. And as great defensively as Floyd is, I mean, Floyd never really was good at defending a jab. And Tommy Hearns was one of the best jabbers of all time. So to say that <laughs> he wouldn't have given, he would, he would give Floyd trouble, I mean, is an understatement. So, I mean, I think Hearns knocks him out in, inside 10 rounds probably inside inside seven so i mean with that and tommy hearns is not top 10 it's tough to put floyd above any of those guys i mean his record speaks his record is great but even then like let's say if you want to compare records floyd went fought all the way up to 154 and won a 154 pound title well, Thomas Hearns fought all the way to light heavyweight and won a light heavyweight title. There it is. There it is. Thomas Hearns is considered, out of the four horsemen, he's considered number four. And he knocked out Roberto Duran in two rounds. But he lost to Hagler and he lost to Leonard. And he drew, even though I felt like he won the rematch, but he got a draw on that one. But he still got knocked out by Leonard and he got knocked out by Hagler. But if you want to go record for record, I still don't think, even with Floyd's record, you can put him above Leonard, Duran, Hearns, or Hagler. I mean, Hagler never went up um, besides middleweight, but he was a dom one of the most dominant middleweights of all time. So now, so let's get into his record. Floyd has beaten has fought and beaten everybody that he's fought. But when you're breaking down greatness, you have to split hairs. And everybody knows that when Larry Holmes beat Muhammad Ali, he yes, he beat Muhammad Ali, but he didn't beat the Muhammad Ali. Yes, he'll go down with beating Muhammad Ali on his record. But everybody knows that that was not the real Ali. Just like when Oscar De La Hoya, who is one of my personal favorites, when Oscar De La Hoya fought Julio Cesar Chavez, that was not the real Julio Cesar Chavez. It wasn't. It just was not. Now, do I think Oscar would always have a chance against him? Yeah, probably. I think so. But still, still, he fought a Chavez who was very late in his career, um, who was advanced for boxing at that time, advanced age for, for a boxer at that time, and really advanced for a boxer who fights his style of fighting, which is he hunted you down, he was high energy, he was high punch volume, and he was a body puncher. He came after you. And punchers like those, fighters like that, those don't seem to last long as they get older, especially when they get into their 30s. They start to slow down a bit. And if you need more examples, I mean, look at the fighters today. Look at Gennady Golovkin. Gennady Golovkin is is in his high thirties, and he has been well. He has been slowing down quite a bit ever since the Errol Spence fight. Yet, you even probably before then, 
you see him progressively fall, fall down. And the Errol Spence fight happened, I want to say about five years ago, five, six years ago, maybe a little less. Uh, I have to double check that. But same time, those types of fighters don't last very long in that advanced age. So the point of the matter is, is that when you fight somebody, it matters. It definitely does matter. Some people um, make the argument that when Leonard fought Hagler, Hagler was past it. Um, we never got total 100% proof because Hagler never fought again after that. But, you know, in his pr the fight previous, when he fought John the Beast Mugabe, I mean, he went to war in that fight. And that was when Leonard said, I'm going to fight him. He didn't want to fight him before then. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Okay. So let's look at let's look at Floyd's record. He started at Super Featherweight. And he was off and running when he dominated a very good Gennaro Hernandez. And that was when he won his first title. He then proceeded throughout the weight classes, winning titles, racking up wins. When he got to lightweight, this is when he his career started to get interesting because he fought Jose Luis Castillo. I completely thought he lost the first fight against Castillo. I completely did. Many people still agree that Castillo won that fight. If you watch that fight, Castillo clearly won. He Floyd was given a gift decision, but you know, to his credit, he fought the rematch and he won that fight. It was very close, but he beat Castillo in the rematch. So you got to give him credit for that. So now during that time, he had Stevie Johnston in that division, Asalino Freitas in that division. He never fought any of them after Castillo. He fought um, Carlos Famoso Hernandez. And then after that, he moved up to super lightweight, junior lightweight, which was 140 pounds. Here he had Ricky Hatton and he had Costa Azul. He didn't fight any of them at the time. He fought a fighter by the name of Henry Bucellas. And then he fought Shamba Mitchell, and then he left. Ricky Hatton was there. Ricky Hatton was just coming off of being Kostyazu, ironically, and um, he never fought Ricky Hatton there. He moved up and was going to fight Zab Judah, but then Carlos Baldemir fought, Zab fought and beat Zab Judah in a huge upset. So at that time, um, uh, Zab Judah lost his title, but then Floyd told anybody who, who would listen that he is still fighting for the title because at that time they still had awarded the, he still, Zab Judah still had a paper title and Floyd still told everybody who would listen that, no, I'm fighting for the championship. I'm fighting for a world champion when everybody knew that he wasn't the, the Judah wasn't the champion, it was Baltimore. So he fought Zab Judah and never looked back, and he never fought Kostyazu ever again after that. Why? Kostyazu was a legend at 140. He absolutely beat the shit out of Julio Cesar Chavez, who was past it at that point. He was pretty much the dominant fighter at 140 for many years, only suffering one defeat at the hands of Vince Phillips, who had just a very crafty style for him, but never fought Kostyazu. 
never fought Stevie Johnston or Asselino Freitas at 135 pounds. Had the chance, but he didn't. He moved up. He fought, and I'm sorry, he didn't fight Zab Judah first. He fought his first pay-per-view with against Arturo Gatti. So he fought Sean, at 140, Shamba Mitchell, Henry Brucellus, and Arturo Gatti in a, in a pay-per-view fight. Now, bless his heart, Arturo Gatti was a great fighter, great warrior, but he was not nowhere near on Floyd's level, and I knew that was going to be an absolute ass-kicking, and it turned out to be. It was a dominant performance by Floyd, to his credit. So after that, then came the, the Judah fight, and it was another pay-per-view fight. It was a it was a fight that didn't really generate a whole lot of uh, pay-per-view buys. Neither did the Gotti fight. But this started turning Floyd, introducing him to the pay-per-view audience. So after that, he decided to fight Carlos Baldemir, who beat Zab Judah. Okay, to his credit. You know, fought Carlos Baldemir, stunk the, the joint out. People were leaving before the 12th round, but he coasted to a comfortable 12th round decision. So at this point, he is still not that big of a pay-per-view star, and he's complaining nonstop about it. But then, you know, he's already established himself as one of the pound-for-pound best, if not the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. So before he, all of this, right around one, when he was at 130, he had, the, he had talked about fighting Shane Mosley, and Shane Mosley was at 135. And then when he stepped up to fight Castillo, he was still talking about the Mosley fight. But right around that time, Mosley had jumped two weight classes to fight Oscar De La Hoya, who can blame him. But Mosley kept saying, I'll fight him. I'll fight you. I'll fight you. Floyd never took the fight, though. And then Mosley moved up, obviously, for the money fight with Oscar De La Hoya. He beat Oscar De La Hoya, so now Mosley became a star. and. At that point, Mosley went on a small winning streak. He beat some some fighters on HBO, but then he ran into Vernon Forrest and um, at one one forty seven, and Vernon Forrest knocked him out and then beat him again in the rematch. So now Mosley became kind of lost in the whole fray, but the fight was still there for Floyd to take after Baldemir, after Judy. He could have fought Mosley. He could have fought Vernon Forrest, but he did not. Never fought any of them. Um, instead, that was around the time he, I believe, he fought um, a tune-up fight. That may have been it, the, the Mitchell fight, I believe. But then comes Oscar De La Hoya calling. In 2007, 2007 Oscar De La Hoya came calling. So he took it, and then he saw 24-7. And then Floyd's career took off after he beat Oscar De La Hoya. Now, mind you, Oscar De La Hoya was at that point 36 years old, 35, 35 years old. And he ended up fighting twice more after the, before retiring. So Oscar De La Hoya was in a very advanced age at that point, okay? And anybody who says differently just doesn't know boxing at all, at all. So, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because on Twitter this week, within the past couple weeks, actually, De La Hoya admitted this. De La Hoya admitted that, um, yeah, he, I was past it. I was past it when I fought 
uh, Floyd. And Leonard Ellerby, Floyd's longtime um, manager, CEO, um, CEO of Mayweather Promotions, didn't take too kindly to it. Ellerby is one sensitive flower, I'll tell you that much. So he took to Twitter saying that it doesn't matter when they fight, Mayweather would have beat him at any point at any time. They're, they're saying that they're saying this now to save face. But so, but at the same time, I mean, it's the truth. It was the truth. There was no ifs, ands, buts about it. Um, De La Hoya was at the end of his career. De La Hoya, he had just coming out, come off getting knocked out by Bernard Hopkins, and he had just won a 147-pound, 154-pound title. And um, it was a measly 154-pound title um, that may have been when he beat Javier Castillejo. But that set him up for this big money fight that he wanted to make. He was actually talking about retiring at that point, too, um, instead of giving the fight to Floyd. But he gave the fight to Floyd because Oscar just never really backed down from from a challenge. Um, so it was, it was pretty clear that, Flo- that Floyd fought a past his prime Oscar De La Hoya. The time to fight Oscar De La Hoya would have been in 2001, 2004 time frame when he fought and dominated Trinidad, even though he, they took the decision from him, um, mainly because he ran, but. That was the time. That was Oscar's prime. This was not Oscar's prime. Okay, anybody who is a true boxing guy knows that this was not Oscar's prime. So then that happens, and then he says he's retiring. Well, he has the Mosley fight there. He has Ricky Hatton there. He has Miguel Cotto coming up, and they talked about Miguel Cotto. Do you want to fight Miguel Cotto? And he was like, Miguel Cotto's a great fighter, but I'm retiring. So Cotto goes on to fight Shane Mosley and beats Shane Mosley. Okay, so that's when they again started sounding the alarms. So Floyd stayed retired, and Ricky Hatton started to develop his name in the United States. And then he, after beating Pauli Malignaggi, um, he he said that he called out Floyd, and then Floyd came back and fought, knocked out Ricky Hatton. Now Ricky Hatton was in his prime, so but. He was also fighting at 147. I believe it was his second fight at 147. But I give Floyd all the credit in the world. He beat Ricky Hatton. He knocked him out. So, and, and it was a great performance by Floyd. So then he proceeds to, to get offered the Mosley fight and the Miguel Cotto fight. Again, he retires. He says, yeah, I think I'm done after this and proceeds to retire. Then he, everybody knew he wasn't retired, and then he decides to come back and at 147, and he asks the 135-pound Juan Manuel Marquez to jump two weight classes to fight him. Now, Marquez had never fought above 135 at that point and was just starting to think about campaigning at 140 pounds. And when you saw the fight, it was clear that 
Juan Manuel Marquez had no business being in that ring with, with Floyd Mayweather. He looked fat. He looked tubby. He didn't look in shape. He looked slow. And it turned out to be just a joke of a fight. You know, Floyd Mayweather dominated from end to end. Do I think he would do that against the Juan Manuel Marquez who fought Manny Pacquiao in the in the third and fourth fight, who was actually at that point a full-grown 147-pounder? I think the fight would have been much, much different at that point. So then Mayweather proceeds. After that, he gets offered the um, uh, he still gets offered Miguel Cotto. Says no. He gets offered Paul Antonio Margarito, says no. At that point, he had been offered Antonio Margarito several times. As a matter of fact, in 2008, he was offered the Margarito fight for a... Actually, actually it was before, before the De La Hoya fight, he was offered to fight Margarito. At that point, he, Bob Arum had offered him his highest payday that he would ever have gotten. And he said no to fighting Margarito. So, but Margarito kept coming for him and kept asking for the fight. And he kept saying no. So did Paul Williams. So at this point, Paul Williams and Margarito fought each other and Paul Williams won. So at that point, Margarito gets swooped aside and they start talking about that fight. Now they're talking about Mayweather and Paul Williams. So he just completely ignores that fight. And, and then just wait, waits another year. And around this point, Miguel Cotto fights Antonio Margarito. And Antonio Margarito knocks him out in a classic. So now they're thinking Margarito is the main person that is the only person now. Miguel Cotto is out of the picture. And... And now they, he should fight Antonio Margarito. Well, around this time, Oscar De La Hoya fights Manny Pacquiao. Everybody had De La, Ho De La Hoya as a favorite. Manny Pacquiao absolutely beats the shit out of him. And now Manny Pacquiao has shown that he is a force at 147 now. So after, after Miguel Cotto... Um, gets knocked out by Margarito. Margarito fights Shane Mosley. At that point, Shane Mosley is becoming a, a lot of an after, much of an afterthought because he's in his high 30s. He's already lost to Miguel Cotto. He lost twice to Winky Wright and has been fairly inactive. And he, but his only credible win at that point was a rematch, a rematch win over Oscar De La Hoya, which I personally thought he lost. So he fights Margarito. He knocks out Margarito. And at this point, Shane Mosley is close to about 38, 39 years old. And now Floyd says, let's make the Mosley fight. And he fights Shane Mosley. So, again, Mosley was at an advanced age, had already taken some pretty good beatings from Vernon Forrest, from Winky Wright. And was nowhere near the Shane Mosley that beat Oscar De La Hoya back uh, when, they, when they fought in their very first fight. So, again, 
it's also when you fight a fighter. Now, to Floyd's credit, he had just come off of beating Antonio Margarito and knocking him out. So it was a legit fight. But let's be honest, it was not the best Shane Mosley. It just wasn't. It wasn't. And Floyd has made it a point of this his entire career. After he beat Shane Mosley, then the talk came about Manny Pacquiao because Manny Pacquiao then knocked out, knocked out Miguel Cotto. And they looked like they were going, going to make it. And then Floyd all of a sudden pulls out and says, out of nowhere, unprecedented at the time, that they need to do U- USADA Olympic-style blood testing for this fight. Manny, being never asked that question before, didn't cave and said, no, I don't need to do it. I never ha- had to do it. You never asked any of your other opponents to do it. You never asked... Um, uh, you, you never asked... Ricky Hatton to do it. You never asked Juan Manuel Marquez to do it. Why should I do it? So at that point, and I want to take this back, that that was around that time when talks broke down for that fight. That was when Mayweather took the Mosley fight. And that was the first pay-per-view fight that had USADA blood testing in there. So then Mayweather wins that fight. So and then Manny Pacquiao, after knocking out Miguel Cotto, um, beats Joshua Claudi, and they still talk about that fight. And then it becomes years and years of tit for tat about how we're willing to do the blood testing. That never happened. Um, the, the Mayweather t- team says we don't believe that they're, they're willing to do that. And it just turned into years and years and years of not wanting to do it. You know, in the end, I blame both sides, but I also blame Floyd more because at the time he could have done it. He had all the ability to make it, the the fight. Because all of a sudden, first it was 50-50. Then he said that he deserved more. And then he said that he deserved a lot more. And then he went on to say that the only way he's going to fight him is if he leaves Bob Arum. Well, that never ended up happening. That never ended up happening when they ended up did fighting. Bob Arum was still a part of it, and they needed an intermediary, but Bob Arum was still a part of of, um, Manny Pacquiao's team, and he was Manny's promoter. So it was a ginormous bullshit fest, and that just sums up Floyd's career. He fought a bunch of great names, but he's fought them past their primes. The only ones that he beat in their primes was Ricky Hatton, Jose Luis Castillo, Diego Corrales, which was probably one of his most impressive win, and Arturo Gatti. That's pretty much it. Miguel Cotto was much past his prime at that point. Now, let, let let me make sure you everybody realizes this. Miguel Cotto did go on to have a great career post losing to Floyd Mayweather. He did go on to win the middleweight title, beating Sergio Martinez, albeit a very past his prime Sergio Martinez with a very bad leg, but still, you know, he won he Sergio Martinez was the the legit unified middleweight champion and to his credit Miguel Cotto won. But he so just because you go on to have a good career after your loss doesn't mean you're not past your prime. You know, Roberto Duran was past his prime when he fought 
Sugar Ray Leonard in the rematch, like I said before. But he went on to even win the middleweight title by knocking out Iran Barkley, Iran Barkley. So that doesn't mean you're not past your prime. When he fought, Thomas Hearns knocked out Roberto Duran in two rounds, but we, Roberto Duran was also past his prime. Simple as that. That's just the way it is. And Floyd went on to have some great wins. He not he schooled Canelo Alvarez. Um, but again, he put an asterisk on this because around bef- this time, Floyd was also asking for catch weights. And when he fought Canelo Alvarez, Canelo was already having a hard time making 154 pounds. And in his previous two fights, did not fight at 154 pounds. He fought at 157, 155. So at that point, Floyd, when he made the fight with Canelo Alvarez, told him that he's got to go down to 152. Canelo, in a very bad business move, agrees to it and goes down 152 pounds. At that, after that fight, Canelo Alvarez never made 154 pounds, ever, in his whole, the rest of his career. He instituted what everybody called the Canelo weight, fighting at 157. And now and then he moved up to middleweight, and now he's at a light light heavyweight. He's probably going to move down to super middleweight. But that was that was Floyd at that point. Was do I give him credit for schooling Canelo Alvarez? Absolutely, absolutely. Canelo was very was very young, still pretty green. His only notable win was a controversial one over Austin Trout. Not that impressive, but Floyd won. Floyd dominated. Okay, would Floyd dominate the Canelo Alvarez now? I don't think so. Even if and and that is even if they were at the same weight at 154, it's just Canelo is much more talented now and much more well-rounded a fighter. So he has progressively picked his spots, and in interviews that he's given, he has said this. He said it's all about self-preservation. He told Bob Costas this, that. I'm worried about myself, my health. Nobody else is going to look after me after this. So he said it right there that he is about preserving his health. Well, when you're about fighting the best and beating the best, self-preservation can't be your biggest sticking point or something that you're concerned with. Because when you're fighting the best at their best, you have to know that you could get hurt, that you can die in that ring. So if you're worried so much about self-preservation, you're going to wait and wait and wait until it is, until your self-preservation is or can be maintained. Hence why he fought Oscar in his late 30s. He fought Mosley in his late 30s. He fought Manny Pacquiao in his late 30s. He fought Miguel Cotto in his late 30s, mid to late 30s. The whole thing comes together okay and that's floyd for you now leonard ellaby who has been known to be a whiny bitch for quite a while um tweeted out this week so manny pacquiao was way past his prime when he fought floyd in parentheses he puts bullshit but somehow he's got his prime back some of some of y'all media media are so full of shit Literally, 
nobody is saying Manny has got his prime back. And if anybody is saying that Manny Pacquiao's got his prime back, they are flat out lying to you or that they're just, they just don't know shit about boxing, literally don't know shit about boxing. Manny Pacquiao does not have his prime back. Manny Pacquiao is nowhere near the fighter he is or was at 2000 in, back in 2008, 2009. Okay. Anybody who knows a lick about boxing would tell you that. Now, that does not mean that Manny has not evolved and Manny is not capable of still beating some of the fighters that there are out here now. That's just a testament to how good Manny Pacquiao is and how he's been able to adjust his style to, to beat some of these fighters now. Now, does that give credit to, to Floyd Mayweather for beating him? Sure. I thought that fight was um, a, cl- a clear Floyd win. I thought it was closer than what they give him credit f- for. Um, but, you know, Floyd won. Now, I'm not going to really debate if Manny was had a hurt shoulder or what or whatever. But, you know, I give credit to him. But that was not the best Manny Pacquiao. Floyd fought. Keith Thurman did not fight the best Manny Pacquiao. If Earl Spence or Terrence Crawford fight Manny Pacquiao, they will not be beating the best Manny Pacquiao. They're beating a good Manny Pacquiao, but they're not beating the best Manny. But the best Manny Pacquiao is dead and gone and won't ever come back. Simple as that. Simple as that. So, but that's Floyd's team right there. Leonard Ellaby has been a whiny bitch for years. And he's constantly, he spent during the, the during the Cinco de Mayo weekend, you know, he spent quite a number of times trying to get tweet at Oscar De La Hoya saying that that was the best Oscar De La Hoya. You're just salty that you lost and blah, 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 blah. It's because that he is defending Floyd's legacy. He's always been Floyd's yes man. He's always been the one to say Floyd's the best, Floyd's the best, blah, 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 and everything. And they're trying to defend his legacy. But it's just not true. It's just not true. The facts just don't support his claim. If if Oscar De La Hoya was in his prime at that point, he wouldn't have fought two more fights and then retired. Okay? People and and I heard a lot of the comments saying that Floyd was older than Manny. And so how can Manny be past his prime and Floyd not be past his prime? Well, that is an incredibly stupid point. I mean, it makes sense on the surface, but these are boxing fans, not boxing people. You want to know why? Because Fernando Vargas retired at 27. Fernando Vargas didn't even make it to his 30s. Fernando Vargas was in his prime at in his early 20s, but had taken so many beatings up until that point to when he fought Ricardo Mayorga, he was 27 years old, 28 years old. A lot of fighters are in their prime at that age, but Fernando Vargas had taken so many beatings before then from De La Hoya, from Trinidad, um, and he just wasn't the same fighter after that. And he got knocked out by Shane Mosley. And it, it, at that point, he was just a shell of his former self. And that, uh, that happens to fighters a lot of times. It doesn't matter their age. You know, it depends, happens on how, how you react to, to getting knocked out. 
the losses, brain damage, unfortunately. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. It's got, boxing is a sport of layers, and it's got a lot of layers to it. So when you say, hey, well, Floyd was older than, than Manny, so he had to have been past his prime, so the whole thing's a wash. Absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. Do I think Floyd was, was past his prime when he beat Manny? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of was. But same time, that wasn't the best Manny. That wasn't the best Manny Pacquiao. And Floyd, who's always been a defensive first bo boxer, was much more fresher, much more closer to his prime than Manny was. The style that Manny fought was high energy, high punch volume. And like I mentioned earlier, when you re go into your 30s, your energy levels drop. Your punch volume drops. You don't have the same type of nonstop energy that you did in your 20s. You know, anybody who is in advanced age will tell you that, that changes start to happen to your body when you go into your 30s, okay? And a lot of it has to do with diet and taking care of yourself and all that, but even Bernard Hopkins, who is a token um, of keeping your body young, was still not the same fighter in his late 30s that he was in his 20s. He still had some speed. But he was a lot more defensive. He wasn't a lot more of a slugger like he was in his earlier days. He fought a lot more smarter as he got older, and rightfully so. You're older, your body changes, and you can't and you can't do the same things you did back when you were in your twenties. So <laughs> the argument that Floyd and his team are trying to make is to preserve the legacy of Mayweather and to make sure he stays relevant. And it's just a lame attempt. I mean, he just needs to, at this point, go away, you know, focus on promoting fighters, focus on giving back. Um, he's now running the same model with Gervonta Davis as, as he ran for his career. If you, and if you need more proof, Gervonta Davis has not fought Vasily Lomachenko. He's been at Lomachenko's weight. He's right around his weight. Lomachenko wants to fight him now. But they're coming up with every excuse in the book that there's no rush. Gervonta Davis is still young. He still has got a lot more fights to do. That fight will eventually happen. This is exactly what they did with Manny Pacquiao. They know they can't beat Vasily Lomachenko. They know Gervonta Davis would not beat him. So what they're doing is since they have youth on their side, they're waiting for Lomachenko to keep fighting. They're waiting for him to show signs of decline. They're waiting for him, and, and they keep putting the fight out there, throwing red meat to boxing fans, saying, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Also, they're trying to fool Lomachenko into saying that it's going to happen, it's going to happen soon, so that Lomachenko can keep wanting it himself. And, keep, and as you can see, it's kind of working. Lomachenko is clearly saying that his plan is that he wants to knock out Teofimo Lopez, and then spend all of his energy trying to make a fight with Javante Davis. So he's Lomachenko's taking the bait. Ta he's completely taking the bait. The smartest thing Lomachenko can do right now is just after he beats Lopez, fight whoever he wants to fight after, after that. That will define his legacy. And if he wants, retire. And then <clears throat> tell Davis that, look, you either fight me now or I'm going to retire or I'm going away. I'm going to retire. Or you're n I'm never fighting you ever again. 
I'm willing to fight you now. I'm willing to split the money, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. But I guarantee you they're not going to do it because that's not the Floyd Mayweather model. They're going to wait until they're going to hope that Lomachenko, and it's risky. This is a risky model, but they're going to hope Lomachenko keeps fighting. They're going to keep talking about the fight. And then once Lomachenko starts to decline um, in his skill set, he's also a very high energy fighter who, who, who relies on his speed, on his footwork, a lot like Manny Pacquiao. He's a little bit more technically sound than Manny, though, but he relies on that, and he's already starting to show signs of decline. He's been knocked down a little bit more and everything, but they don't feel comfortable just yet. They're going to wait until he declines and, that, and hope that his name is still high up there before they take that fight. They're going to pr- treat Javante Davis very carefully in the same mold that they did Floyd Mayweather, constantly building up his name and not having him fight the best fighters out there, having him fight the right names at the right time when it's convenient. That's the Floyd strategy. That's the Leonard Ellerby strategy. So anything they say should be taken with an enormous grain of salt or just looked at as flat-out lies because they have an agenda. Don't let them fool you. They're not here to make the best fights. They're fighting Leo Santa Cruz. Leo Santa Cruz next. Leo Santa Cruz has never fought a fight at a hundred and at the weight that they're. I think they're fighting at one hundred and thirty or one hundred and thirty-five. So he's never fought a, um, at that weight. He's always fought below. So he's making him come up. Leo Santa Cruz is also a little bit more advanced in his age. Well, I'm not sure how close to his prime he is. I need to do a little bit more research to see. To watch his last fight, and his last fight, he seemed to do pretty good. But they don't make no mistake about it. They're doing it for the name, and do they? And they feel like his styles mesh with meshes with Davis. Um, they, they do, they do. I mean, Santa Cruz is a high volume puncher who comes right at you. So Davis is a hard, is a knockout artist who really pushes, hits you hard to the bodies, and likes to box and put his punches together. So um, it's a good fight for Davis. Can Santa Cruz cause some problems? Yeah, he's got a long reach. Is it as long as Javante Davis? I'm not sure. I have to look at the tail of the tape. But make no mistake, it's probably the right fight at the right time. And that's Floyd Mayweather for you in a nutshell. Let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Real Machado 2 And um, I'm my name is just as AD right there. It doesn't have my full name on there. You can follow me on Facebook. I'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and I hope you're staying safe, okay? Be well. Talk to you guys soon. Now you're going to start hearing me a lot more. I'm going to start recording a lot more, talking about some of the upcoming fights. Um, There's talk about Shakur Stevenson-Josh Warrington fight. I'll give you my thoughts on that. Um, I'll give you my thoughts on a third Deontay Wilder-Tyson Fury rematch. A rematch trilogy fight and more to come there so i appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you guys soon bye